welcome everybody to another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. Here we are, we're several days removed from the end of the 2022 Beijing Olympic Winter Games and wanted to give it a little bit of time to marinate and see if my opinion on how things unfold kind of changed over the days. I don't know about you, but at least the people that I've been speaking with, when it came to these Winter Games, bit of a weird vibe. Can chalk it up to a number of things. Number one, at least here in the Eastern Time Zone in North America, you never really had a sense for what was live, what was recorded already. You'd be having puck drops at 11, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So by the time things are over, you're pushing 2 a.m. if you're staying up for some of these games. But more than that, it just seemed like these Olympic Games lack a marquee event or a little bit of the star power or some of the storylines that have gone into some of the past Winter Games. Now, this is not taking anything away from any of the athletes who competed. Phenomenal job all around. They would skate, ski, slide laps around me. I am not in any way trying to diminish their unbelievable athletic accomplishments here. Full marks to every single person who medaled. Full marks to everyone who finished the race. Full marks to everyone who qualified to the 2022 Olympic Winter Games. What I am saying, though, is as these games unfolded, fundamentally at the IOC level, we're starting to see some cracks and we're really starting to see some flaws emerge. And I think you really are starting to get a sense of viewers aren't nearly as interested in it as they were in past years because of some of these underlying problems. So again, this isn't an issue with the athletes themselves, but rather the organizing committee and the actual Olympic games themselves. I mean, here in Canada, I'm sure everyone can probably tell you where they were when Crosby scored the gold medal winning goal in men's ice hockey. People can probably tell you what they were wearing when they were watching the 1980 Miracle on Ice in Lake Placid, the Tanya Harding scandal, the Soleil and Peltier scandal, when snowboarding made its debut at the Winter Games. The list goes on. There's lots of unbelievable moments that are etched into sports fans' memories, even if you're not necessarily a hardcore fan of that particular sport itself. You can probably have a few instances that you can pick out from your past where they were memorable moments simply because this is the Olympic Games. This is supposed to be the grandest stage of them all. You're wearing your country's colors. And for most of the people I spoke to who weren't active members of the sports media, who didn't need to cover it as part of their job, there just really wasn't that overwhelming interest in it this year. And I think there's a couple of factors here. If you start from the top, you've got to realize that unlike the summer games, the Winter Olympics are really only accessible to a handful of countries, right? Any country out there that has someone who can run fast enough can qualify for the summer games. There's not a huge investment into training facilities or capital required to get that up and running. So comparatively speaking, the summer games truly are a global event, whereas the winter games are predominantly a European and North American affair with a couple of other countries sprinkled in there who have the climate to be able to do that. There's a reason why South Africa or Madagascar don't dominate at the Winter Games. Yeah, there's the odd occasion of, oh, it's the Jamaican bobsled team and hey, let's make a Disney movie out of it and everything. And those are great and all, but they're definitely the exception and not the rule in terms of participation. So you're already having your audience right off the get-go because 
if I'm living in Zimbabwe, I probably don't have a whole hell of a lot of interest in what is going on in these events designed for countries with cold weather climates, which we don't have. So we don't have any athletes from around here that look like me, speak like me, or wearing my country's colors. So yeah, they probably won't be tuning in to any of the curling matches anytime soon. So right from the get-go, the Winter Olympics have a marketing problem. How do we get the whole world involved in this like we do for the summer games? How does this become a truly global event, which is what the Olympics always sell themselves as. It's the pinnacle of sport achievement. You're representing your country on an international scale, all of that. How do we get to there? Well, for starters, you need to play nicely with others. If you want to try and truly expand these games and get into some of these countries who maybe only have a couple of teams in there, unlike Canada or the US who have over 200 athletes that are attending, go to some of these venues and some of these pockets of the world and don't just keep recycling the same locations over and over and over again. Trust me, I get economics and the infrastructure required behind some of these things. I'm not asking you to go to the most northern tip of Finland and try and host an Olympic event there. What I am saying, though, is we can't just keep recycling previous places we've already been. Right? We can't just keep going back to Vancouver, to Calgary, to China. Yes, these are obviously important countries and you want to reward the countries that send the most athletes. But at the same time too, for all the marketing dollars that get poured into it because, oh, we're doing it in Beijing this year. Perfect. Look at all of this investment that's going to be coming in from the Chinese government, from Chinese mega firms. But you're essentially hitting up a very small pool of deep pocketed donors. Whereas if you start going to some of these maybe less glamorous destinations, it might not be a Paris, but somewhere where you can actually actively engage and pump some money into that local economy and is also a locale that is big enough to host it. It might not be the cream of the crop. Oh, we just built this mega stadium within the last two years, but somewhere where it does have the infrastructure to do it. I think that's something that they need to get back towards because having these events actually truly representative of the world and going to some non-traditional locations every now and then should be something that the IOC is actively striving to do. I'm not saying do it every year, but maybe you alternate it. Maybe one year you do Paris, then the next year you go to Stockholm, and then the next year you go to Calgary, and then the next year you go to South Korea. Something like that where you're going into some of these smaller countries who have an active presence within the actual Olympic Winter Games, but having them become the host nation will then force maybe the local government to pump some money into sport and infrastructure and all of that. And that it starts building up all of their training cycles and their ability to compete on a world stage. And it has all of these trickle-down effects where for everyone who is crying foul about how the women's hockey event should essentially just be Canada versus US and a best of seven and everyone else can play for bronze. Yeah, we get that. And I'll touch on that a little bit later on. But if you want them to catch up the rest of the world to be able to compete, start having some of these major events in their cities so that the local economy and the local government pumps money into sport, builds it up, allows the athletes to actually train full time. And that's how you get a more competitive environment. The second piece to that, though, is the IOC needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror and realize that this isn't the early 1900s. This isn't even the 1970s right now, where the Olympic Games was by and large the biggest thing going, right? Jenner made an entire career off winning the decathlon one year, and he's still relevant to this day. Whereas outside of Canada, people probably couldn't even tell you who won the decathlon in this year's summer games. So 
this inflated sense of grandeur and self-importance that the IOC has where everyone should be so lucky as to be able to be part of the Olympic Games really needs to adapt with the times. I mean, you look at something as simple as logos that are appearing on equipment, on jackets, stickers, whatever the case might be. You look at the snowboarding event this year where we had the one athlete who actually withdrew from the competition because they were being forced to put a giant covering over a logo on the bottom of their board. Like, what are we doing here? Is this truly reflective of who is the best at this sport? Or is this just reflective of the dollars and cents that go into this event and lining the pockets of the IOC at this point? You want to offset some of the money that comes in from hosting events in a Beijing or in these world economic capitals. And that's why you're pigeonholed to going there every single year, start hosting them into some of these smaller locales that have the infrastructure and then open up your ridiculous marketing and branding guidelines that you have going on here as a way to offset that revenue. Rather than having only a select list of certain companies or individuals that can have their logo or brand or whatever it is appear on anything Olympic related, start having 200 donors rather than a list of five. So you can offset the economics of these things in a variety of ways, but it starts with the IOC not taking themselves so damn seriously anymore here. Look at their relationship with the NHL. Now, granted, it takes a lot to paint Gary Bettman in a half decent light. I've got some very strong opinions of him, most of them not that great. But in this case here, the IOC's stance on some of these issues is just ridiculous. And by and large, yes, there was the contingency of the NHL doesn't want to risk another Dominic Hasek-like injury happening overseas and then that having an actual effect on the NHL. I get it. They had a whole bunch of cancellations due to COVID. Well, guess what? So did other sports as well. And they didn't boycott games in order to make them up. There were creative solutions around that. They'll use that as the crutch. But the reality of things here is that the IOC and the NHL just aren't getting along. And most of that has to do with ego on both sides here. Gary Bettman definitely has a self-inflated sense of self-worth, but the IOC trumps that left, right, and center. So the fact that they weren't able to get a deal done to get the truly best players in the world over there to play in the Olympic Games is a travesty. They should have been pulling out every stop imaginable to make it happen. Because you want to talk about lacking a marquee game, that really is sort of that star power event there. It's the same thing at the summer games. You can make the argument of how interested would North American audiences be if NBA players weren't allowed to go. Probably not very, right? Unless you've got a cousin or a personal connection to someone who's on that team going over there. Yeah, you might tune in if there's nothing else on, but it's certainly not must-see TV anymore. So this year's men's hockey essentially turned into a larger scale Spengler Cup. Because if you look at some of the rosters that teams were sending over there, it was a hodgepodge, hastily thrown together group. None of it really made sense. And it lacked leadership from the top down. If this is going to continue, why not just roll something like the World Juniors into it and make it a true amateur sport event, which is, again, something that the Olympics has already blurred the line on. It's always professed that this the greatest of amateur athletics and over the years, that's obviously gone by the wayside with the Dream Team and the NHL involved and soccer players over these. And uh, th there's been laundry list of examples you can provide that amateur sport isn't at the forefront of the Olympic Games. And again, it's putting the almighty dollar ahead of true athletic competition. But if you're not going to have the best players in the world, which is the NHL, no offense to anyone who plays in any other league around the world, but if you think that 
a fourth line player in the NHL wouldn't absolutely be selected for one of these national teams over probably a first line player in any of these other leagues around the globe, you're deluding yourself. It's literally that different is the skill level between the Swedish elite league, the KHL and the NHL. It's night and day. You want to argue with that? Go ahead and argue in the mirror because I'm, I'm not hearing it. It truly is that big of a gap between those leagues. Now, if you're not going to have those NHL players come out and play, why not just turn it into more of an amateur event and it becomes a U21 tournament? Maybe it's every three years the world juniors go and then that fourth year it becomes an Olympic cycle, right? Like there's creative ways you can do this to develop sport, develop the games, get a renewed sense of participation from some of these other countries that are out there as well too, right? Like all those same arguments that you could make, but at the end of the day, you just can't make the case that the men's gold medal hockey game is truly the best that the sport has to offer offer when you are sidelining the best whatever it is 400 players in the world and saying "Mm, sorry not this year guys so you take that off the plate you've already now lost a lot of the hockey viewing contingency out there i would love to say that all of those hockey fans also still tuned into the women's side of things i know i did it was thrilling well again we'll get to that in a minute but the reality is they didn't if you were to put a percentage at how many of those nhl fans tuned in and closely followed the women's side right or wrong i'm not saying i'm not trying to turn this into a whole thing here but the numbers would indicate that it would be a pretty small percentage i would venture a guess probably only one in three and maybe that's being generous made that transition over i know i personally watched zero zero minutes of the team canada men's side of things I just had absolutely no interest in it because what are we doing here? It's this hodgepodge of college kids and washed up pros. Like, hey, I can't do what any of them are doing, but I'm also not trying to play it off as this is the pinnacle of sport that we're seeing in front of us, right? It's like the Seinfeld episode where they all go to see the Broadway play of Rochelle Rochelle and then Bette Midler is injured because of the softball game and everyone boos because it's the understudy performing. That's kind of like what we saw here. We were all excited to see McDavid and Matthews and all of the best and brightest stars represent their country, a true best on best tournament. And then it's Eric Stahl. It's guys that were going to play on the Spengler Cup team. It's some prospects. It's just a mess is what it ended up being. And I know a lot of hockey fans felt that same way too, where once it was announced that the NHL wasn't going over, left a bit of a sour taste in people's mouths and the interest level dropped dramatically, especially amongst those who call themselves maybe fair weather fans or casual fans who, yeah, they would have tuned in if it was Canada, USA, or maybe it was an elimination game or something like that. But are you still going to tune in if it's people who you couldn't pick out of a police lineup if your life depended on it? I don't know. So again, it all goes back to how did the IOC and the NHL ever get to a point where this happened? It certainly didn't come from the players. I mean, you've had multiple players speak out about what a disappointment it was that they didn't get a chance to go over and how it was built into their last collective bargaining agreement. And there were a lot of hurt feelings over it. And there's some people who are probably still pissed off about the fact that they felt like they probably would have been selected to represent their countries. And four years down the line, maybe they won't be, or maybe they're too old, or maybe they're out of the game altogether by the time 2026 rolls around. The fact that they didn't pull out All the stops to make this happen just goes to show you what a fractured relationship it is between the IOC and the NHL. So there's some definite goodwill that needs to go out there, not just at the hockey level, but just across the board and all the sports of the IOC. We get it. 
you've got rules for a reason and you've got deadlines that you've got to have. But at the end of the day, you can't put money ahead of so many of these other factors, which they'll deny that dollars and cents are ultimately what make their decisions. But we all know that's a bold-faced lie. So you can't put that ahead of all these other things but then miss out because oh, we, we put a deadline that we needed to have this happen and we're going to be rigid with it by such and such date. You got to commit or get out. And from every report I've read, it's not like Batman and the IOC were spending hours on teleconferences or a flu to meet, God forbid, a face-to-face -face meeting to try and hash things out. And how do we make this happen? It was just sort of like, oh, well, can you make it, guys? No? Okay, well, whatever. So don't pull out all the stops that way, but then say, well, we can't go and host the Winter Olympic Games in Switzerland or Slovenia or Finland, all of these cold weather climates, because there's not enough money to justify going back there ever again. But then have your absolute cash cow marquee event of men's hockey not go down. Could you imagine the summer games without the 100 meter dash or without basketball or without soccer? Like how many people are truly tuning in to watch curling or cross country skiing? Not that many. So we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. And this is the problem that sports has gotten into, especially in the 21st century of the amount of red tape that is out there and the amount of people who don't want to get creative with solutions, who just want to take the safe way out and would rather put out a half-assed product at the end of the day than to truly have to invest in something and try and find some sort of a way to make things happen for the good of sport. It's getting bad at all levels, not just at the Olympic levels, it's all the way down to the grassroots levels. So complete image makeover and mending of bridges needs to happen first and foremost at the Winter Games. The other big thing though, is some sports, and I'm going to talk about figure skating as the poster child for this right now, they need to absolutely clean house and revamp the systems. What in the name of God is going on here? You don't have to be a figure skating fan to have heard all of the drama going on with the Russian figure skaters and I mean, first of all, the fact that Russia is allowed to compete in these Olympics after a state-sponsored doping program, but, oh, they're, they're not actually Russia, they're the ROC, and they're under a different banner, and it's just like, oh my god. Either tell them that they cheated and that they can't come, or say, we don't care, the economics are more important, we want Russia to come here and keep lining our pockets. Either shit or get off the pot. You can't have it both ways, and that's how we ended up in this weird gray area of the ROC Going out there, winning 32 medals, no real sanctions, just not a red, white, and blue Russian flag flying behind these athletes. Like, it's a joke. And then here they are again, right? You've got the Russian teenage figure skating, Kamila Valieva, who gets busted doping. She's a teenager. I can guarantee you she's not going <laughs> and purchasing all of these drugs and injecting them into her system to try and get more blood flow to her heart and all of that. Like, no, this is coming from the same state-sponsored doping program that they got popped for a couple of Olympic games ago. Like, it's ridiculous. It's almost like the IOC is in an abusive relationship with Russia where they know they're bad, they know they should do something about it, but they just can't help themselves. They just keep going back to them and, oh, they've changed. Oh, this time will be different. No, it's not. They need to get put in line here. Otherwise, it's just going to keep happening. And I mean, this poor 15-year-old kid, if you haven't already, go out there and you can even find it on YouTube or it's easily accessible with a quick Google search there, but is literally at an age where if one of her friends makes a mean tweet about her, or there's some gossip going around at her local high school. Like that's traumatic to a teenager. 
And here she is as a 15 year old being put on the world stage and shamed in 50 different languages and has just become embroiled in this controversy. And then, oh, well, you know, we'll sort of deal with it if and when something happens. Maybe we'll have a medal ceremony. Maybe we won't, you know, cross our fingers. Let's hope she doesn't medal and, and go figure. She doesn't. Oh, weird. She came in fourth place. Hmm. Who could have ever predicted that happening? Well, number one, the poor kid is having a mental breakdown on the side of the rink here. And we've got cameras in her face. None of her coaches are doing a damn thing to help her. Her other teenage teammates are looking awkwardly on like, what do I do if, if I do or say the wrong thing? I could fall out of a window mysteriously the next day back home in Russia. Like, it's a bad situation going on here. It's literally the equivalent of child abuse happening on a world stage and the IOC is an adult who could be helping here and is choosing to just say, well, you know, get out there and skate. Best of luck to you, kid. And after everything we've seen in judging for figure skating over the years, the bribery, the corruption, the fixing of you score this person high and this event will score your team high and this event, like just trading of favors that goes on that we all know happens. This is no secret about what goes on in the world of professional figure skating. And then magically she comes in fourth. So it's a non-issue at the medal ceremony. Now, by her standards, it was not a great performance, but I don't know what you want the kid to do when she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders. It was probably fearing for her safety, her family's safety, having a mental breakdown, no one's doing a damn thing to help her. I'm surprised she even got to fourth place, but there wasn't a chance unless she was landing every single thing flawlessly and just the most ridiculous quads and everything else that you could imagine that she was getting on that podium. It was a foregone conclusion. So it was almost like there was corruption coming down from the IOC levels to then influence the judges. Normally there's the IOC complaining that, oh, well, you know, we, we can't police what the judges are doing away from these venues and who they're talking to. And yeah, we try and weed this out. Like they play the victim in a lot of this, but here's their chance to actually do something about it. And they chose not to. So complete whiff there. So like how some of these large bloated, too big to fail, doesn't matter how badly we screw up. We're still going to put the event on four years from now because we're the only show in town. Organizations continually just skate by without any repercussions for the crappy things that they do to these athletes. It's mind blowing. Look at FIFA. They've got a scandal breaking every other week, it seems. UEFA, the NFL, like these organizations that are just have licenses to print money, nothing ever happens to them, even if there are missteps or overreaches or misconduct that should be addressed. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants their check. Everyone wants their pockets lined. It's too big to fail. It's a cash cow. It's a money-making machine. But the Olympics espouses itself to be the purest form of sport is supposed to be the pinnacle of athletic accomplishment. And here they have arguably one of their biggest events that is just rotten to its core. And what would have been refreshing is if after these Olympic Games had wrapped up, maybe a day or two goes by, and then we release a big statement saying, listen, clearly this figure skating event didn't go as planned. We're committed to making change. We're committed to looking into it, making a safer environment for athletes, all that. They couldn't even do that. They couldn't even get the bare minimum statement out there. People have short memory spans as is. That's all they were really expecting is, yeah, we'll look into it. We know we can do better. We're committing to do better. Four years from now, 99.9% .9 of the population isn't even going to have what happened at the 2022 Beijing Winter Games in the women's figure skating event on their mind. 
it's just not on their radar. But they couldn't even get that out. They were more than happy to just sweep it under the rug and, all right, we're finally done. Let's all go home. Let's forget this ever happened. So they've got to mend bridges. They've got to play nicely with them. They have to stop taking themselves so seriously. They need to clean up some of these events. And they've got to start accessing some of the locales that might not be on your top five bucket list destinations of need to travel there one day so that they can start growing the sport for the sake of sport and for the sake of future generations for future athletes to come through rather than just chasing dollars. But the other thing that really stood out about these Winter Olympics is the ongoing dialogue of women's hockey where you've got a very vocal segment of the population and i would love to know how many of those people who are outspoken about women's hockey actually watch women's hockey versus just have an antiquated notion of what it is rooted in their head and they're not going to change their mind about it I'm curious to see that one day but all of this talk of well Canada and the U.S. are blowing everyone out, remove women's hockey from the Olympics, is one of the dumbest ideas that people have put out there into the internet in recent years. And the internet is full of bad, bad ideas. But this is right up there in terms of sports for not thought out processes whatsoever. Are Canada and the U.S. going to play in the gold medal games against one another 99 out of 100 times? Probably. As the sport stands right now, Probably. You would need an absolute miracle on ice to have one of those two teams get knocked out in the semis or the quarterfinals. Does that mean that the entire women's hockey tournament is a waste of time? No. Unequivocally, no. For anyone who decided to watch any of the games that didn't happen to involve the two powerhouse nations of Canada and the US, those games were probably closer to what the Olympics espouse themselves to be than any other event that took place over the last couple of weeks. The joy, the pride of representing your country, feeling like you're on truly the biggest stage in the world was on full display. Because some of these teams that Canada and the US were out there just waxing, they don't have domestic professional women's hockey leagues that they can go and play. Hell, here in North America, a new domestic league pops up or folds or gets merged into something else or rebrands seemingly for the last two decades it's been like an every two-year process only now in 2022 have they finally started to get enough outside funding that they can genuinely start laying the groundwork to make it a sustainable league that doesn't need to merge into something else or doesn't need handouts from the nhl something that can stand on its own as a livable wage product that provides health care and benefit and maternity leave and all of those other things that you get in the real world. Here it is in North America, where you've got Canada and the US who are head and shoulders above every other hockey playing nation in the world when it comes to women's hockey. And the best of the best athletes are still working outside jobs, two or three jobs trying to make ends meet. They don't have dedicated year round trainers. They don't have 401ks. They don't have any of these safety nets that if they blow out their knee tomorrow, what are they going to do? It wasn't even present. So what do you think is happening over in Sweden or what is happening over in Germany or China or Switzerland? All these teams that the North America sides are absolutely beating by 10 plus goals and these lopsided scores how much time do you think they have to actually train so taking away the only carrot because we already established that a lot of these countries don't have domestic women's leagues and now you're going to take away the only carrot which is the olympic games once every four years from them you might as well wipe women's hockey off the face of the earth people might as well stop playing it after college
Like, is, is that what you're saying? That women shouldn't be able to play beyond college or university here? Because again, it's only Canada and the US that in the year 2022 have established an opportunity to play professionally and still make a livable wage, finally, this year. So women's hockey beyond college or university over in Austria or Japan or Netherlands or wherever just will cease to exist. It'll be pick up beer league hockey, which if that's what you want, fine. But if you actually want it to get to the same level that the men's side is at when the NHL actually plays in it and not this weird smorgasbord of players that went out this year, then you need to invest in women's sports. The solution isn't let's remove it. It's let's double down and actually invest in it. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's support them so that they can go out there and continue to do these things. Because it might be 10-1 this year. And then four years from now, it's 8-1. And then four years from there, it's 6-1. And you inch away and you slowly close the gap to the point where we are now, where on the men's junior side, Finland is one of the most dominant teams out there. And that certainly wasn't the case on the world junior side a few years ago. But these things don't happen overnight. You're not going to magically flip a switch and all of a sudden China is the new hockey superpower of the world. It takes time. These are things that only just began not that long ago in some of these locations. So yeah, you might make the argument that everyone else is playing for bronze. I'd make the argument that a lot of them don't care. They're happy to be there and finally having a chance to showcase their skills and show what they've been working their entire lives to do to get to that point and represent their country because they actually are the best of the best from their respective nations. It's not like we told Sweden, oh, sorry, your top flight league players have to stay home. You've got to do a whole bunch of replacements here and go up against the Canadians. Like these truly were the best that that country had to offer. And now it's up to that country to continue to invest in it and to continue to pour resources and support into it. Sport in general has gone through a slow evolution. If you look at sports of how it first began, it was something that you just did when you had spare time and there was no professionalism to it at all. Then you had professional leagues pop up. And even then, it was a little bit fly-by-night, right? You had the Montreal Maroons, you had the Toronto St. Pats, you had all these wild teams, and the Kelowna Thistles won the Stanley Cup one year. And like the NHL itself was the Wild West in the early 1900s. Teams were moving and folding and going bankrupt, and the owner was corrupt and stole all the money and then relocated to another tent. Like these things happen at the men's professional ranks. And then finally, in the 1950s and 60s, things sort of worked out into a, okay, we've kind of got an original six here. We've got the basis of something. And then that grew and then expansion and then TV deals and then marketing. And now we're at the point where we are now with the McDavid's of the world and the Crosby's and all of that. But that didn't happen in the span of 10 years. It didn't happen in 20 years. It took them over a hundred years for them to get to that point. So here we are in 2022, Finally, now getting the outside investment of money that these women hockey teams need. And we want the same overnight results as what took the NHL over 100 years to do. Like, how does that make any sense whatsoever? Same thing with basketball. You've got basketball developed in North America, and then it started taking roots overseas. And now you do have some of these foreign powerhouses like a Spain, like Slovenia, Slovakia, some of those Eastern European countries, Germany, that are all producing NBA level talent. But they were all 60 to 70 years behind what happened in North America and Canada and the US. Even in Canada, you could make the argument that only now, only really since the 2000s really kicked off the turn of the millennium. Have we been consistently 
sending high level talent to blue blood programs and NCAA Div 1 or players going overseas and playing professionally or cracking an NBA roster? Should we have shut down Canada basketball because we weren't bringing home gold medals or because we were losing to the US every time we played against them? Didn't hear any outcries then. So for those that are saying we should just fold women's hockey, Number one, it's stupid. But number two, I really, really doubt you would be saying that if they didn't have ponytails coming out of the back of their helmets. Honest to God, no one was complaining when Tiger Woods was absolutely putting a beat down on the field for like a 10 year stretch. Like there was genuinely, and you will probably never see this happen ever again. Maybe once in our lifetime, if we come across that true generational force of nature talent like Tiger Woods was, but you could actively bet pre-tournament Tiger Woods or the field. So you could have hundreds of golfers or Tiger Woods. That was an active bet you could make at lots of sports books in Las Vegas. There's no athlete out there who does that now. Sports books will be more than happy to take your money if you want to bet on a Rory McIlroy or Morikawa, Spieth, whoever you like. They're not going to give you the field options, or if they do, they're going to be so infinitesimally small that it's not even worth it. You're spending like $1,000 to win 10 cents back. But this was an active bet you could make, and people loved it. A lot of those same guys who were crying out that women's hockey should be removed from the Olympics were probably lapping it up when Tiger was running away with the Masters and U.S. Opens and all the other tournaments that he was winning by double-digit strokes. Just because you knew Tiger Woods was probably going to be in the final pairing on Championship Sunday, does that mean we shouldn't have the tournament? No! It's flawed logic, and it needs to go. So all that to say, kudos to Team Canada. Captain Clutch, Marie-Philippe Poulain, comes up huge on the Olympic stage again. You may as well pencil her name in for scoring a goal in any meaningful game on an international stage. Ice in her veins, unbelievable. Two goals, third gold medal clinching goal. Canada wins three to two to bring home gold. And kudos to all of the athletes who went out there and put on the show of a lifetime. I just truly wish that the IOC would get out of their own way so that more people could have seen these athletes who have been working their entire lives to reach this point go out there and perform in front of the world. Yeah, time zone difference might have had a little bit of a factor, but had the Olympics maybe done a better job marketing themselves, had they come up with some creative solutions, had they reached out to some non-traditional sponsorship partners, modernized their approach, maybe all of those other factors would have gotten out of the way. So that's the conclusion I've come to after letting it marinate for a little while. Initially, after the Olympic Games wrapped up, I thought, oh, whatever, that was that was something. Don't really have a strong opinion on it one way or another. But the longer I thought about it, the more it just irked me that, again, here we have another example of a bloated organization who loves putting red tape, who loves putting the interests of itself ahead of athletes, even though they will claim till their dying breath that the athlete and the sanctity of sport comes before everything else. It was just a farce. And I think there just needs to be a real long, hard look in the mirror at the IOC level. Will it happen? I'm hopeful, <laughs> but I'm also not holding my breath. It's an old boys club. It's all. It's almost as bad as the NHL where you've got billions of people on this planet you have the same 40 or 50 old boys club seem to be the only names that keep getting recycled over and over and over again.
there needs to get some fresh blood in there and someone who isn't already in the pocket of someone else or owe someone else a favor, isn't afraid to stand up to Russia, isn't afraid to take a stance against doping, isn't afraid to take some chances, go to some new locales and help, maybe even get some more countries on board, introduce some more sports. Maybe they're kind of a fringe fall winter sport. Maybe it's more indoorsy, but doesn't have a place in the summer games. Maybe you pilot it there. But the viewership figures will show these winter games weren't an overwhelming success. A lot of the things the IOC has done over the last couple of games have actually backfired. And at the end of the day, they probably need some new blood and some new fresh ideas in there. So that's been my long winded rant this week. Usually try to avoid these. I usually enjoy speaking with people, their takes on things, what's happening in the world of sports. And we'll get back to that next week. I think out of the hundred plus episodes we've done, this is only the second time I've ever monologued one of these episodes but there just needs to be some change and and wanted to take some time to get that off my chest i feel a little bit lighter we'll get back to having our phenomenal slate of guests that is set to resume next week covering all the biggest topics in sports if you haven't already go over to dinespressbox.com check out all of the content we're pumping out there the site is expanding at an absolutely mind-boggling pace right now we're up to like 30 different contributors we're on pace for march 15th being the date where we'll have produced as much content between january 1st and march 15th as we did all of last year new pieces videos podcasts all that stuff going up all the time so be sure to go and check that out rate review subscribe give us a follow on our youtube page and we'll see you guys again next week